coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. And realizing that my greatest interest and I think my greatest payoff for longevity is to perform and recover as an athlete in my fitness endeavors. And so I want to direct the vast majority of my stress resources to performing and recovering. And in doing so, I'm going to rethink and second guess my personal need to engage in any form of restrictive dieting because I'm stacking another stressor on top of my sprint workouts and my high jump workouts and my strength training sessions and all those things that I'm doing to my body. And Mike Mutzel uh, published a great video. It was called um, Why I Stopped Fasting and What I'm Doing Instead. And he talks about research where you get these amazing autophagy benefits after a 48-hour fast. And this is aligned with the research of the great longevity leaders like Walter Longo and David Sinclair. And yeah, if you starve yourself for a long time, oh my gosh, you're going to shrink your inflamed organs and the, the damaged cellular material will be uh, recycled and you're, you'll get a youthful boost. And isn't that great? Uh, however, the research also shows that a high-intensity strength training session in the gym lasting for an hour will give you a similar autophagy response to fasting for 48 hours. And then Mike gives his punchline on the video. I don't know about you, but which one would you prefer? You want to slam it in the gym for an hour or starve yourself for two days? You get the same benefits in the end. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed the best-selling author, health crusader, and podcast host of BRAD Podcast, Brad Kearns. Brad's a good friend of mine, and we had a great discussion regarding what he learned over the past year regarding restrictive diets, along with problems with stacking stressors, the importance of showing up, issues with visceral fat around your waistline, setting attainable health goals, and his two main tips to get your body back in 2023. Really enjoyed my interview with Brad. This was the third time he's come around to the podcast. I hope you enjoy the interview. Thanks so much for listening. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin, and I have a special guest on for the third time, Brad Kearns. Brian, what a pleasure to reconnect. And I'd say we're warmed up because we've been talking before we hit that record button. And one of the things I shared with you is that my goal in 2023 and beyond is to uh, get even more authentic and unplugged and, and honest and direct with the audience. We were talking about some of the controversies that we've seen in recent times about Liver King, uh, you know, admitting that he lied about his performance enhancing drug use. And I recorded the show in response. It was called Is Brad Natty or Not on the BRAD podcast. And one of the things I said to my audience was, you know, uh, after reflecting on all the shows that I've produced, I realized that I've been 100% honest and transparent. I haven't embellished or lied about anything that I mentioned with my own personal lifestyle. And I think that's pretty important these days when we have the ability to 
to connect uh, so directly. So uh, I'm going to try to have as much fun as possible, uh, just not uh, even trying to be a sort of a performer as you and I are talking here. Of course, we're we're recording this and uh, people are listening, but I think it's really important to just get real about anything that comes up. Yeah. And uh, I love your podcast, side note, the B-Rad podcast. And uh, I think transparency is everything nowadays. And I think it's tough sometimes with the social media age that we're in with Instagram and stuff. And you see people you know, always in these certain types of lifestyles and these, these bodies on Instagram and, and, it, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to catch your attention, right? Cause there's a lot of people out there that are trying to catch your attention. So what, what stands out the most? And so I think, mm. I think transparency is key and being, um, you know, someone that, you know, you, you, you can trust and, um, you know, I know Brad, you, you're, you're transparent and yeah. So I think something that happened with liver King is, you know, he, he lost that trust with a lot of people, which is a shame. Yeah. And I've, uh, been associated with Lance Armstrong in the past and I wasn't, you know, writing a book about him and, uh, my company uh, sponsored him. I was doing sports marketing for the company, Silicon Valley software company. So, and I spent time with Lance way back when, um, he was a triathlete and I was also competing on the pro circuit. So I've known him for a long time and seen that whole doping controversy play out. And it's like, when you become a public figure, and you start to get into these nuances and uh, repercussions, boy, things start to get really messy and tricky. In Lance's case, of course, he had to lie his ass off and sue other people because he was uh, part of a massive cover-up that involved the entire sport. And so uh, people need to understand that he wasn't really cheating in the sense that he was sticking a needle in his body and the rest of his competitors were drinking orange juice and and trying to get a lot of sleep. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in Liver King's case, it's important to understand that he's not an Olympic athlete who is trying to win a gold medal for the USA and cheating his way to the podium uh, through artificial means. He's simply a public figure. Um, and he got heavily criticized for, for lying, uh, deservedly so. Uh, but then now they're trying to make this connection. And there's a class action lawsuit saying uh, Liver King is getting sued for, uh, you know, c- claiming uh, that the supplements will, will give you this big physique. And he never once did that. He almost never mentioned his supplements or his products. He was just building his brand and giving his unique content out there, which has a lot of um, positive messaging. And it has a tremendous amount of authenticity because he does live his life in that extreme crazy ass manner. But again, uh, being asked point blank, are you using any performance enhancing drugs and saying no, you deserve to get slammed and he's going to be taking a beating for a long time. But we're all going to be better for it because I think in my case, um, I believe the guy because he's so badass in real life. And I've spent time with him. We work together. We promote the MoFo product together. He actually does eat that way. He actually does train to that extreme level every day and go in his cold plunge at 38 degrees for eight minutes. I remember when he was just getting started, he converted his spa to a cold plunge, you know, his actual in-ground spa. He put a chiller unit instead of instead of the heater. And he's like, yeah, I'm going in for around eight minutes. Is that good? And I'm like, oh my God, dude, are you kidding? me you know Uh, so anyway um you know he had all these attributes going for him and it was just kind of a hopefully just a a blip on the radar screen but we all need to wake up to i think this um critical importance like you say of 
you know, being the the real you, uh, like it or not. And if you don't like it, go listen to a different podcast. But here's Brian in his basement doing his workout. And um, if if it's not impressive, that's fine too. But it's the real deal. It's not like you're spraying fake sweat on and saying, yeah, I just did my 20th uh, rep with the orange band. No, I completely agree. <clears throat> I was just thinking, I wanted to ask you, Brad. Um, now we we can reflect on a year, 2022. Um, what was maybe one of the big things that you you learned from the year that you're going to apply for the next year? Um, you know, with all your interviews and um, you know, you've written books and this and that. What was what were some of the takeaways that you can that you plan on bringing into the next year? Well, I think, as you know, um, our association with Jay Feldman and his energy balance message uh, really hit me hard. And I'm also seeing a trend happening uh, overall in the progressive health space, the ancestral health space, where there's a lot of voices coming forward and rethinking or recalibrating some of the foundational principles of ancestral health. And uh, particularly, I'm talking about the um, the, the the passion and the interest in restrictive diets to deliver health benefits. So when you engage in intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding or the ketogenic diet or a, a strict low-carb protocol or a, a strict carnivore protocol or what have you, um, you are going to prompt uh, an assortment of uh, beneficial adaptations in the body in general. So I've written for a long time about the, the science and the research that when your body is in a fasted state, it's working at its most efficient. The anti-inflammatory processes, the immune boost, all these things are profound. The cell repair, we talk about autophagy a lot. So all these things are highly validated by science. Uh, but one thing that I, I give Jay a lot of credit for having me take a few steps back and look at the big picture is that these mechanisms are part of the stress response. So when you starve the cells of energy, they respond by working more efficiently. They upregulate the process of autophagy, which is the natural internal cellular detoxification process to clean out damaged cellular material and prevent cancer and get a renewal effect in your organs and uh, even your muscle tissue. So all that stuff is great, but we have to realize that when we restrict the cells of energy, um, it is a stressor to the body. And then we start getting out a piece of paper with a stress scoreboard on it. And you write down all the various stressors that you face in modern everyday life. And then all the things that you do to rest and restore and recover and sleep and all that great stuff. And I'm looking at my scoreboard and realizing that my greatest interest and I think my greatest payoff for longevity is to perform and recover as an athlete in my fitness endeavors. And so I want to direct the vast majority of my stress resources to performing and recovering. And in doing so, I'm going to rethink and second guess my personal need to engage in any form of restrictive dieting because I'm stacking another stressor on top of my sprint workouts and my high jump workouts and my strength training sessions and all those things that I'm doing to my body. And Mike Mutzel uh, published a great video. It was called um, Why I Stopped Fasting and What I'm Doing Instead. And he talks about research where 
you get these amazing autophagy benefits after a 48-hour fast. And this is aligned with the research of the great longevity leaders like Walter Longo and David Sinclair. And yeah, if you starve yourself for a long time, oh my gosh, you're going to shrink your inflamed organs and the, the damaged cellular material will be uh, recycled and you're, you'll get a youthful boost. And isn't that great? Uh, however, the research also shows that a high-intensity strength training session in the gym lasting for an hour will give you a similar autophagy response to fasting for 48 hours. And then Mike gives his punchline on the video. I don't know about you, but which one would you prefer? You want to slam it in the gym for an hour or starve yourself for two days? You get the same benefits in the end. Yeah, very interesting point. <clears throat> and like you mentioned, um, <clears throat> with Jay Feldman, I've also uh, implemented carbs back into my life. <laughs> um mainly like yourself in the morning where I was not having anything. Um, and it's been interesting. I'm curious. I know you mentioned that you, has your body composition as you've implemented your morning. Now you have a morning shake where you, where you put your, your whey protein in and along with, uh, I've seen you put fruit, fruit, uh, do you put liver in there, frozen liver? And, and what, what have you noticed from doing this for the past? What? six to eight months you've done doing at least yeah let's right? see my experiment is now in month number 10 or so it's where i've made a devoted effort to consume more total daily calories especially more nutritious carbohydrates so i kind of traded my historical morning fasting period where i would eat nothing or i would maybe nibble on dark chocolate until midday and then make a nice big meal i traded that in instead for uh, deliberately going and consuming a huge bowl of fresh fruit and a giant high protein smoothie with my new product, the whey protein superfuel, as well as a whole bunch of other performance ingredients and uh, other things thrown into the smoothie. So I'd have a lot of uh, frozen fruit. I would have frozen liver chunks. I would have a couple scoops of protein and then all kinds of other uh, capsules and things that I'm testing out at current time or my my organ supplements that I talked about, MoFo and other ancestral supplements products. So it was a real um, high calorie, high nutritional benefit smoothie uh, that goes along with the fruit just about every day in the morning. No um, kale this in has there. Been <laughs> yeah, no more the um, the, the raw no green kale. produce, which was right. a different phase uh, back when. And I talk about how um, consuming high levels of these uh, plant toxins in raw form can really uh, be a potential drawback, even though it has all these nutritional benefits. But um, I've I can report that the experiment has gone really well. I feel great. I can't say I've had amazing breakthroughs as an athlete or uh, any of that nonsense that sometimes you hear people trafficking in when they they make one change and they start taking a supplement and they they feel you know night and day better. I was pretty healthy and, and fit beforehand, uh, but I do believe in the entire concept here that we have to pay attention to our overall stress scoreboard in life and try to uh, minimize that as best as possible. Um, I remember Jay's funny quip on one of the podcasts where he said, you know, we talk about hormetic stressors of uh, fasting, jumping in the cold water, doing a sprint workout uh, and, the, and the benefit, but no one says an argument with your girlfriend counts as a hormetic stressor. It's just a bad deal. Yeah. Even though on the stress scoreboard, those things that I mentioned all line up on the stressor part. And we were talking about cold therapy before we got on. 
And um, I've over the past uh, uh, six years now have taken my duration in the tub down from trying to be a badass in the old days and stay in there for five minutes or six minutes uh, down to one and a half or two and a half minutes. And I'm fine. I get the hormonal response. I get the psychological benefit, the resiliency of saying, yeah, I just went out in the cold weather and jumped into the lake or jumped into the cold tub. Uh, but mindful of potentially overdoing it. And just to uh, make the important point here, when I talk about fasting, keto, not eating in the morning, and pushing myself with a challenging workout, that I contend has great potential to be overly stressful and unnecessary and potentially kicking into gear um, compensatory mechanisms in the body, such as slowing down my overall energy level and rate of recovery because I'm trying to fast and do a sprint workout. Yeah. You talk about these stacking these stressors um, is where you can sort of run into a problem. You know, on that, on another side of that, there's a lot of people who've had a ton of success and tremendous amount of results using like a keto diet. And, um, you know, this is a higher fat, like moderate protein and a lower carb diet. And is the reason for the success from going from the standard American diet into perhaps a keto diet, the fact that they've eliminated a lot of, um, these maybe gut stressors, um, the, uh, you know, the, the polyunsaturated fatty acids consumption, the seed oils that could be coming from a standard American diet, you know, eliminating those junk foods and then increasing animal proteins and, um, uh, you know, the consumption of saturated fats and things like that. Yeah, that's an important insight. I mean, that's the essence of uh, any uh, departure from unfettered access to indulgent foods, which characterizes the standard American, standard Western diet, right? We've exported it to a whole bunch of other countries, so we could call it the standard modern diet or something. Yeah, right. And so when you start to take your take control of your life and say, I'm going to make a change, I'm going to do something better, I'm going to be more mindful of my eating habits, you are going to get a fantastic net positive benefit. It could even be uh, going vegan plant-based, which sure. um, we don't need to spend too much time criticizing that whole scene, but I'm going to call it a high-risk diet. And I don't think anyone can dispute when you eliminate most of the foods that fueled human evolution for the last two and a half million years, you're going on a high-risk <laughs> journey there, which is ill-advised in, in my opinion. However, anybody who takes control and starts to be mindful of, you know, for example, um, uh, like you said, uh, ditching the processed foods, that's going to be a huge win. So I like to kind of avoid the controversy and the faction building and just say, look, for anyone listening, whatever your belief systems are, if you just eliminate processed foods, that is going to be your biggest return on investment where your diet's going to improve, your health's going to improve. You don't necessarily have to look at the clock and try to go for the 18 and six pattern or uh, count your macros to make sure you maintain membership in the keto club. But we know from uh, the, the great emergence of the ketogenic diet movement that um, you get all these health benefits from 
you know, adhering to that for a period of time, you upregulate your fat burning and things that might have been muted by uh, lifelong or decades long consumption of heavily processed foods that uh, spike insulin and, and make you a, a lousy fat burner, as evidenced by your inability to even skip a single meal. So when someone comes back to me and says, yeah, I've tried keto for eight weeks, uh, I lost weight, I uh, have more alertness uh, during the, the hours of the day at work when I used to crash and burn on my desk, this is all 100% thumbs up. But as we continue to advance the conversation, and especially talk to a highly informed audience that might be uh, checking a lot of boxes and living a pretty clean, <laughs> eating clean and getting lean, or they're on that path right now, that's when it's fun to kind of look at the nuances and say, hey, wait a second. Um, most of the benefits of fasting or ketogenic diet, for example, are indirect. And what I mean by that is uh, you skip breakfast in the morning and you feel better and you're more alert and more productive. Maybe it's because you skipped a shitty all-American breakfast that you've been having for years and decades full of uh, processed foods that are difficult to digest and inhibit your ability to generate cellular energy internally. So if you skip the waffles and the muffins and the pancakes and uh, the syrup on top and feel better, it's not be it's not necessarily because of fasting. It's because you you stayed away from that that garbage. And that's kind of an important point to reflect upon to say, um, you know, is there is there something better here than just kind of uh, towing the line and doing these restrictive behaviors because you can't help yourself and you can't control your appetite or something, you know? Yeah. And also too, on that note, like, you know, picking a time to stop eating, let's just say seven o'clock really helps. I think in a lot of sense, like sleep could help with sleep, not eating too close to bedtime. And a lot of times what we're eating after seven o'clock is not for the most part, probably not good, not advantageous. Um, most people are snacking on things later on in the evening. Um, they're not snacking on, um, I don't know. They're not snacking. <laughs> carrots and <laughs> yeah. Well, some people might be snacking on carrots, but you know, they're not snacking on like some, you know, liver bites or let's just say, you know, <laughs> Yeah, it's mostly um, popcorn so, in my case, I'll, I'll admit. And it's, yeah. it happens after 7 p.m. every time. So, yeah. So I think the one thing that fasting does do, it does give you boundaries um, around your day. And I do think that's important for some people. Some people don't need those boundaries and they have the self-discipline or they've just, it's just sort of, they're wired a certain way. They don't need those boundaries. Um, but I guess um, I was thinking about before this uh, interview, I was like, well, what, you know, what's one common theme I feel like that can help people in the next year, you know, maybe take that next step in their health and become a better version of themselves. And I just look back at like what I've done throughout the last 20 years in the health and fitness um, arena. And what's the one standing thing that's always been there for any of this. And I think it's just being consistent. Mm. Um, I don't think it's, um, anything other than that. And when I say consistent, that could be with workouts that could be just with your eating regimen is, and if it's, you're not doing it consistently, um, cause you hear it so many times people do stuff or get on something for a few weeks. And I hear it with clients 
you know, I was on this for a couple of weeks and then I just went back to my old ways. And so that was just like the one thing in my mind that, you know, even when I started working out, like I was working out three days a week back in high school. Luckily, my parents exposed me to lifting weights early on, mm-hmm. which I think is a great thing for kids to start early, not like super early, but in high school is probably a good start. Stand, uh, you know, ju- I think I was a junior in high school. And so it just became a habit. Um, cause we always talk about setting goals, but I think it should be about implementing habits and, mm. and, and something that you can do day in or week in week out. So for me, the, the thing that came to my mind was just consistency. Um, is, does that ring with you, Brad, or what, you know, you've been in the health and fitness arena longer than I have. Yeah. And I like how you <laughs> transition over to the exercise element, because that's where I think the consistency can be life-changing and the struggle for consistency with diet is likely driven by some super uh, uh, disturbing outside variables that make it difficult to succeed. And if you have appetite dysregulation and you have um, emotional issues in association with eating and you have adverse lifestyle practices like not getting enough sleep or not being active enough, your diet is probably going to suck. And that's just how it is. If you have a chronically overly stressful lifestyle, stressful job, stressful girlfriend, stressful boyfriend, whatever, um, those are going to kind of end up with uh, making uh, accordant choices, uh, reaching for quick energy junk food rather than being a, a clean burning high energy machine. And I like how some of the leaders in our space are really emphasizing this point of uh, starting with exercise in pursuit of metabolic health and longevity, rather than obsessing about diet, especially the restrictive diets where you're now asked to start fasting until noon in the name of health. But you have all these other things in your lifestyle that are screwed up. Like you're not exercising, you're not good at generating energy internally. You're going to have a hard time lasting as you tell the story of those people that uh, have the attrition after however many weeks. And so if you can just get moving more in general everyday life and not in a way that has the potential to be overly stressful, again, we're talking about that stress scoreboard from the start of our discussion, but just getting up and leashing that dog and walking around the block as the first thing you do every morning and turning that into a habit. uh, And then ideally getting in some resistance exercise and some explosive high intensity efforts and some comfortably paced cardio. If you start sprinkling those into your lifestyle in a way that's natural, sustainable, not super time consuming. That's when your diet magically has the ability to uh, clean up and you're able to adhere to your, um, your, your goals and dreams of, you know, how to, how to eat nicely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, consistency to me, I mean, if someone tells me, I think what happens a lot of times is especially just going in the new year, they like, okay, I got to start working out. So they go to the gym five, six days a week but we, but it does, it won't last, right. It won't, they, they won't Mm. be able to do that week in week out and things will get in the way. I rather have someone go twice a week and know that they're going to guarantee that they're going to go twice a week for the whole year, than start out going five, six days a week and then just fall off the bandwagon after a month. Uh, (laughs) So I think uh, making that commitment, right. Of, of just being consistent, whether it's twice a week, that's fine. Um, cause I think that'll sort of lead if, you know, down the road of, you know, like I, I was three times a week for a long time and I've added in another day, but like, 
I, I added another day to the point where I was already consistently three times a week. So I think you have to do something consistently long enough. And then from there, you can reassess it. If you want to step it up a little bit more, you can, you don't, you know, so. Nice. Very nice. I mean, yeah. look, the number one best-selling book in the world right now is Atomic Habits by James is Clear. It really? Yeah. And it's been for a while. I mean, the record sales numbers and um, his point about setting these low bars and these very doable uh, goals to wire into habit is where the magic happens. And what we mostly do is uh, we get overwhelmed by a really daunting goal and it's too much and we fall off and then we feel discouraged and then we engage in um, you know self-defeating behavior patterns because um, we're not uh, meant to be a gym person anyway because we we can't seem to get there five days a week out of the gate from from not being a not even joining for the previous years and so if you can do something that's so simple and easy that you're gonna laugh and and smirk and nod your head of course I can exercise for five minutes every morning um, that's a joke that's no you know that's no big deal but it's super super important to climb over these um, you know jump over these very low bars and then start reflecting on how I might uh, escalate my commitment because I enjoy the process and it's not daunting and I'm not feeling discouraged and defeated because it's too hard. Um, and I guess the same goes for making dietary changes like zero in on uh, one aspect of cleaning up your diet, ditching processed foods, and that might be uh, to cut out the sweetened beverages and the Starbucks concoctions. And then you just focus on that for however long it takes to really, you know, get that into, get that into control. And then you can look further down the road to further optimization. But you see this pattern so frequently of people taking on too much, failing, and then giving up. And I think another underrated aspect of um, health and just creating habits is uh, surrounding yourself with like a supportive community and just being around people who are like-minded and positive and um, have these healthy habits. Um, cause you see it all the time in like the CrossFit community is as, as much as some people might want to knock maybe CrossFit and the fact that maybe it's a little bit overdone and people can get injured and things like that. I think what really makes them tick is the fact that, you know, there's this community and I think we've lost that a bit. I just feel like with COVID, um, mm. and with people just doing all their workouts in their basement, which I have nothing against, cause I've been doing that, but there is something to be said about being around people and, and whether it's one, two, three, or four individuals, whatever it is, and working out in that atmosphere and how that can just, you know, help guide you along and build momentum as opposed to just doing everything on your own. Oh my gosh. I have the most wonderful uh, home fitness environment with everything I need to do all kinds of different badass workouts. Uh, but I absolutely love getting in the car and driving over to the gym and placing myself in that environment where I don't need to summon my own discipline, willpower, and motivation. I just walk into the gym and I know I'm not going to stand in the lobby and watch the TV for an hour. I'm just going to go in there and get work done. And so the sense of community doesn't have to be these perfect training 
finding partners that are fun and easy to chat with and engage with. It's like just parking your car at the trailhead and taking off and running by yourself, but nodding hello to five different runners that you pass by. Those kind of things count tremendously also. Of course, it's great to have buddy systems and make uh, exercise part of your actual social community like it is at a CrossFit box. But I think just being physically present at the gym amidst other exercises, even if you're not taking the group class. So I go with my wife and she jumps into her class and says hi to all her friends and they get their floor space and they go at the teacher's command for an hour. And I'm doing my own thing and my very specific protocol. And I, I don't even know anybody that I'm mixing with, but I smile, say a few words here, say a few words there, and I'm present at the gym. And that's a wonderful aspect of success again without making it this huge complex thing where you have to go find um, five body buddies to work out with in order to succeed. Yeah. I actually joined a gym not too long ago, a few months ago. And yeah, I mean, I did it one just for some variety. I mean, there's things I could do at the gym that I can't do in the basement. Uh, but I do find just going there, it is energizing and I uh, just being around other people and it's, you know, just great to get out and be social and you know, be part of a community of like-minded individuals. Um, but you do see that people join gyms and they don't go <laughs> and they, or they show it like, it's been really busy this last few weeks. And then, Oh, you know, in a month, I'm, I imagine that the usage rate goes down about probably 50%. So, yeah. I mean, if if you don't mind, I'm going to slam the fitness industry for a moment because I think uh, there are some tremendous uh, forces that uh, don't serve a lot of people. And what I see from uh, decades of observation is the traditional fitness programming, the outfits, the, the programming that's, that's earning a lot of revenue and making it a multi-billion dollar business is largely designed in a manner that easily makes it overly stressful for most people. And so when you uh, pop for that Peloton bike and get it into your house and the wonderful technology and joining the instructors and the favorite peppy instructor from the New York City class, or you head to the gym and sign up for the group exercise class, or you sign up for one of those group training programs that raise money for charity, and you're going to go complete the Chicago Marathon in the fall. And so you're going to meet twice a week. Um, all that stuff is fantastic. It's a step away from sedentary culture, which is you know the big disaster here. But what I often see are people who are uh, compelled to push their bodies too hard or engage in programming that is um, overly stressful in a, in a chronic manner. So the workout is a little bit too hard on Tuesday morning, uh, spin bicycle class. And then you go back on Thursday for the boot camp class and it's a little bit too hard. And then on Saturday, you do a hike with um, some fit people where the pace is a little bit too challenging for you. And you get uh, immersed into this cycle of an overly stressful exercise program. Um, maybe that's not talking to a huge portion of the population, but I think it's a big portion of the fitness community themselves where people get drawn in and they go to extremes where it starts to become unhealthy. How do you know you're in that category? Have you had uh, recurrent illnesses, injuries, nagging conditions, um, a sense of burnout, fatigue at rest or during your everyday life on account of the workout programming that you've been indulging in? And I think the secret 
that the fitness industry sort of doesn't want people to know is that it's much easier and more simple than it's been uh, drummed up to be, where you have to be this six-pack person who sweats like crazy and then uh, grabs a towel and, and dries off and then continues with your amazing bicycle workout that's uh, so difficult and challenging. And really, if people can just kind of dabble in fitness, it's going to go a long way toward improving their life, making them feel better, getting them fitter without interruption from breakdown, burnout, illness, and injury. And then maybe one day they can uh, aspire to uh, big, uh, wonderful, challenging goals like hike to the top of the mountain uh, in the summertime or ride a century bike ride or do something that's a nice bucket list item. But I think we lose a lot of people and we have a high rate of attrition. We know this to be a fact in the gym community where um, they cycle through a shit ton of members in order to pay the bills. And so there's typically, you know, 12,000 members at your local gym that can only hold 472 maximum fire marshal mm -hmm. sign on the wall. And they need it to be that way in order to, you know, to operate as a business. So something's wrong with that model when most people uh, in the fitness community are, you know, not really taking advantage as, as they should. Well, well said, well said, Brad. And, and I'll say, and you, you mentioned it briefly there about you know, what is really true health, right? Like you, you mentioned, is it having a six pack? And I think the, the, the social media society that we're in now <clears throat> and how everyone looks so great on, on Instagram and you see all these people and you think, well, is that true health? You know, and, um, what would you say your definition of true health is? Um, and, um, you know, because I think I fell under this for a while too. I mean, I was, you know, you talk about being somewhat restrictive as far as fasting and low carb. I mean, I was probably in the low one seventies and, um, I'm looking at my DEXA scan right now and I was, you know, body fat percentage was nine ish and, you know, had a decent six pack, but was it, was that true health? You know, I think it, it encompasses a lot more than just having a six pack. It's stable energy, restorative deep sleep, um, clean skin, thick hair, <laughs> good libido, um, a peaceful mood, low stress, you know, lean muscle mass, a well-functioning gut. And so I think some of these things can get overlooked when you're just looking at the outside on an Instagram page and you see an individual that's completely ripped. Because really, you know, that might not be true health for 99% of the population. <laughs> yep. And the other 1%, good on you. Six pack <laughs> equals true health. Well, um, you know, kidding aside, I think that um, if, you know, if, if you can look better, you're, you're going to be most likely improving your health until you get to those extreme uh, levels where you're you're trying to go from you know 10% body fat to to 8 or in the bodybuilding scene the most the most ridiculous example where they're literally trashing their health temporarily to get the winning shot to go up on stage and so i think most people are aware of that um you know that 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 fallacy of equating a, a, a hot looking body with someone who's healthy inside and out. Um, but we also tend to traffic in um, self-defeating 
behavior patterns, self-limiting beliefs, where we can really quickly and easily trash the six-pack community for being vain and superficial and extreme and all those things uh, while we're walking around with a scoreboard of visceral fat that is too high and putting our health and our hormones at risk. So um, when I talk to males of my age group um, to to be um, straight and direct for a moment, uh, the truth is that we are fighting this epic battle against the accumulation of the spare tire because the spare tire, that's the accumulation of visceral fat. That's a special kind of fat that's different than subcutaneous body fat. It's a special kind of fat that collects in the midsection around the organs. And it is a, a highly health destructive type of fat that shouldn't be there. Um, it is its own organ is defined as a separate organ because it secretes inflammatory chemicals into the bloodstream called cytokines. And so you become inflamed uh, because of this accumulation of a little bit of belly fat to the extent that you uh, compromise your adaptive hormones, testosterone, growth hormone, and things that make you youthful, energetic, and, and so forth. Um, you start to tank these hormones because of the presence of the visceral fat. And so when you have a little bit of belly fat, it sets you up for the accumulation of more belly fat because your testosterone is tanked. And what happens when you have poor male hormone status is you start to lose muscle mass and gain visceral fat as well as uh, fat on the other areas of your body. So if all we have to do is look in the mirror and pull up our shirts and say, um, you know, how's my... <laughs> How's my condition? How's my physique looking? That is indeed a great starting point to uh, figure out what things you can do to optimize. And then you just gave the list like uh, healthy gut function, good sleep, uh, nurturing social relationships, lack of dysfunctional relationships and chronically stressful circumstances in your life. Those things are going to help you control that uh, systemic wide inflammation that you're suffering from. Uh, but again, starting point is probably uh, sleep, diet, uh, increasing general everyday movement, and then getting in some good workouts. So they all they all go together. Um, but the scoreboard, I talk about the stress scoreboard. We can also look at the washboard scoreboard and and see how we're doing there. And for females, different uh, hormonal processes, different uh, body composition elements. However, the accumulation of visceral fat is also a huge health risk for the female. And it's distinct and different from the accumulation of fat in other parts of the body. So that is the battle in front of us. And it's a big deal uh, because of that snowball effect. When you lo lose yourself a little bit, when you let yourself go a little bit, when you're 40 or 37 or 47 or 57, um, it's going to set you up for uh, for an accelerated decline over the next decade and the next decade. Yeah. So what would you say? Um, we've talked a, a, lot, a lot about, you know, different areas of health here, mainly diet, exercise, um, you know, consistency. What would you say if you would sum it up, if someone was just, you know, starting up or wanted to get back into, you know, some type of program in 2023, what would you say some, what would be some first steps to start, um, get to get themselves on the right foot? Yeah, thanks. The first thing is we got to get the garbage can out and go through your house and toss out <laughs> these nutrient deficient processed foods that are interfering with your metabolic and hormonal function. And so until you clean up your diet, 
um, you don't really uh, have much of a chance to, you know, strive toward your potential because you keep feeding yourself uh, these poisons. And when I um, make that statement about interfering with your ability to uh, generate energy internally, Jay Feldman talks about that at length on your shows and uh, on mine and elsewhere, where when you have that nice hit of sugar or those seed oils that are in the processed foods, you are arresting the natural generation of energy inside the body. And therefore, because you're interfering with your ability to burn fat and even burn um, the, the the sugar that you just ate, um, you start to become reliant upon more feedings of these nutrient deficient processed foods. Your appetite hormones get out of whack. You start overeating and under moving because you're tired and uh, drag ass and generally uh, a, a person functioning at level four instead of level six or level seven or level eight. So cleaning up the diet. I know that's a big challenge for people. I interact with real people myself who are not as dialed in as I am. And it seems simple to me to say, oh, this food is unhealthy, throw it away. But we have all kinds of things in the mix and habits and um, perhaps even addictions to especially the, uh, the the propensity for sugar to become addictive. Dr. Robert Lessig talks about that in his book. So it's a real deal. It's up there at the highest ranking along with you know the, the bad drugs that people get addicted to. So it's no joke, but I think it will become easier and more doable if you can give yourself permission to surround yourself with all kinds of nutritious foods that you enjoy that are easy and convenient to prepare and that you can consume in place of whatever crap is still lingering in your diet. And so when I talk about my morning uh, indulgence of the huge bowl of fruit and the huge protein smoothie, and getting uh, email feedback from listeners saying, well, that's great for you, Brad, you're already low body fat, but if I ate more food every day, I'd get fat. And I'm gonna challenge that because I think what happens is when you front load yourself for success, when you set yourself up with a winning environment, like instead of uh, old boxes in Brian's basement, he's got a fitness center. So he's setting himself up to walk down a staircase and get into it easy and convenient manner. When you surround your home with healthy, nutritious foods that you enjoy and the fresh fruit is always available and there's a bowl sitting there ready for you to grab a banana or an orange or whatever, or some uh, some some uh, healthy uh, strips of beef jerky or whatever it is, that's when you're gonna succeed with cleaning up your diet rather than thinking of this dietary cleanup as uh, a, you know, like a challenge yeah. or a suggling and suffering, depriving and using your willpower. That's not going to succeed for any time length. Right. So it's almost like getting rid of the complete junk, which we all know what that is. We don't need to go into that and replacing it maybe with something that's nutrient dense. Like you mentioned, it could be fruit, this could be vegetables, quality protein sources. Um, like you said, I think for me, I have been consuming more food, but the food I've been consuming are single ingredient foods, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, that right there, I think can go a long way. Um, and then what about on, on the, on the exercise, um, point of it? Well, you know, you've been in endurance sports and you know, you're, you're like a professional, well, you were a professional high jumper, right. For a long time and a sprinter, um, and a, and a speed golfer, which is how we first met, right, Brad? Um, right. 
what would you say to someone that's wanting to get into exercise but they just don't like to exercise this is this you know yeah i'm i'm going to uh reflect that the reason someone doesn't like it is because they've had an adverse experience before probably related to that fitness programming in the fitness industry luring you in uh drawing you in with the the dangling incentives and then pushing your body too hard and you crashing and burning and the brain is very good at avoiding things that uh, generate pain and uh, instead pursuing things that are easy and comfortable and so if there's a way to hack this uh this disastrous cycle of uh, living in a lifestyle that's inactive. It's to get out there and do something that's so easy and doable and sustainable that you will actually enjoy it. I, I don't think there's too many people that are going to say, yeah, I hate walking my dog seven minutes around my block. It's such a waste of time. I have so many more important things to do with my mobile device or whatever. No, you're going to enjoy it. The fresh air, uh, if it's raining, if it's snowing, if it's cold, it's okay, people. That's why we buy expensive jackets so we can get out there and test them mm -hmm. out and walk around the block anyway. And I mentioned the dog so often because uh, one, because the dog had a cameo in your background uh, for all you guys watching this, this program on YouTube. Uh, but secondly, like you've made a commitment to an animal to give it a good life. And it's a commitment that's bigger than yourself and your own, uh, you know, fragile motivation, willpower, mood, energy level, self-esteem, whatever the hell it is, leash up the damn dog and get the dog out of the house for a proper walk around the block at least twice a day as your minimum commitment to giving the animal a proper life. So even if you don't care, or you don't enjoy exercise or you're not motivated, there are things that can, you know, that can kick in beyond that, that will work for you. And then you mentioned joining the gym, which is another one, like get in your freaking car, drive over to the gym, walk in the front door, say hi to the check-in person. And if you want to go sit on the couch in the lobby and watch a few minutes of TV to gather yourself, that's fine. But I'm going to bet that something's going to happen. Something magical is going to happen when you show up at the gym. Uh, show up and get on your bicycle seat in the class. And if you're not fit enough uh, as the other riders, guess what? It's a stationary bike. <laughs> and um, that's what's so wonderful about group programming is, you know, you can go at your own pace and not be embarrassed like you might be if you jumped into the, you know, the club ride on the Lakeshore Boulevard in the summertime and they're going 27 miles an hour and you're going 18, it's over. Yeah, I mean, showing up, right? And so, I mean, for me, for me, I, I've never liked running. I've never liked riding a bike. You know, my form of like, just say cardio or high intensity has always been other things, things that I've enjoyed that I look forward to. And I think that's important um, because I don't, I've done spin. It's just not for me. I've tried spin classes. We're not going anywhere. I, you know, <laughs> if I, I guess if I'm going to ride a bike, that's probably better, but you know, I'm in Chicago, so we don't have a ton of you know, great weather to go riding and we don't have a lot of hills and things like that. Maybe if I lived in California, but I enjoy, I've enjoyed mixed, mixed martial arts and, and I do some kickboxing and Muay Thai. I've done that on and off for, you know, whatever, 20 years now. Um, and for me, that's, that's a good outlet. Um, and so I think it, like on your point, not only just showing up at the gym, but maybe finding something that you actually might enjoy like if <laughs> if you don't enjoy riding a bike don't do that right like there's plenty of other options um that you could do uh so well this was great brad i mean we could go talk for another hour 
at least. Um, but just to highlight, you know, replace junk foods with nutrient nutrient dense foods, and then just show up. Um, and in and, and I think a, a, some type of group atmosphere is is a great way, especially someone that's just starting out. That maybe you know the self discipline of just going in your basement isn't there yet. Um, but actually signing up and doing something, whether it's tennis or whatever it is, that's sort of a group atmosphere, I think can help sort of pull you along. Um, and I think those two steps are great ways to, you know, get the new year off on, on the right foot. And, um, and then listening to podcasts <laughs> like ourselves, I think feeding your mind is part yeah. of it. I think to me, I, it, it gets me going listening to Brad's podcast or any of the other ones that I've listened to, um, or even finding a coach that can sort of help you, you know, cause, um, I know I coach plenty of people and, you know, I'm not, you know, just finding someone that maybe you can hold you accountable is a big one as well. Um, anything else, Brad, you want to add on that? I think we've touched on a lot. Yeah, that's great. I like how you, you mentioned, listen to podcasts because it does keep you motivation focused, excited, mm -hmm. exposure to new information. But I will address the potential listener who um, has a tendency to feel discouraged or get overwhelmed because I think we also have this risk today with all the information that's upon us and all the influencers and all the people that are extremely fit and uh, extremely rich and performing and living these wonderful, incredible lives on their private jets and, and frolicking on the beach in their perfect bodies. Um, this kind of thing can have a, a negative net impact. So let's focus uh, on, in 2023, focus on yourselves and the little baby steps you can take uh, to form uh, winning habits. And nothing is too small. James Clear in his book talks about setting the goal of flossing one tooth in the evening if you're not a good tooth flosser. And your first reaction, everybody can smirk and go, well, one tooth, come on. But he, he's dead serious. And he says it with great, you know, uh, scientific support behind him that if you can start flossing one tooth, guess what's going to happen in 30 days? You're going to be a good tooth flosser. And the same goes with exercise and, you know, the ability to like look at a staircase and see it as a fitness opportunity. Look at a parking lot and hang a left instead of a right and see that as a fitness opportunity that you're going to walk further to the door and all these little things count. And I can't emphasize that enough where I've seen people succeed with these baby steps with a smile the whole way and not trafficking in any of that potential to get discouraged and, and brought down because you're not enough and you don't measure up to others. Yeah. Great points. And, um, this was great, Brad. Where's, um, I know you got a lot of stuff going on. What about what don't we offer the listeners uh, something like your 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 whey protein? Right, is that out and about? People can get that. Maybe yeah, you can find uh, B Rad is the brand. Okay. Just like the podcast, the B Rad podcast. I have a great whey protein. That's my centerpiece morning drink, and you can learn about everything over at bradkerns.com, including the podcast. You can go search for past shows and listen to Brian throwing down. I think we had some good golf talk in there in the past, uh, but a lot of, a lot of great guests and having a lot of fun uh, just connecting with people like you. So it was a privilege to be on the show. I love the great work that you're doing 
especially the friendly debate with with Jay Feldman and Dom D'Agostino that uh, was was one of your highlight shows. And um, so there's definitely great content, but you give a lot of simple, practical tips for people. And I think um, we did a good job covering that today, too, where you can go and leash up the damn dog and get out there, people, no matter what. Yeah. Meanwhile, my dogs are just been staring at me <laughs> and I, I they've been on two walks already today so I'm not, <laughs> I'm not feeling bad I have one right here um excellent Brad well bradkerns.com be rad podcast uh check out his new whey protein um I do I want to try it actually Brad so maybe we'll work something out um could we offer a discount for the audience do you have or like a five or 10% or, uh, I can't, I can't do that. Cause it's for sale on Amazon. Uh, <laughs> oh. but I, I, I guarantee you're going to like it. Okay. And, um, if you, if you heard about it from Brian's show, uh, and you purchase one, send me an email cause we will figure out a wonderful free gift to send you. And I appreciate you spreading the word about it. Cause there's a lot of protein supplements. A lot of people think it's mainly for the muscle people. Um, but the great research now is coming out how this is super important for everyone in every stage of life to prioritize protein in the diet for a lot of reasons. One of them is managing your, your appetite and your body fat levels. So it's yeah. had a great uh, initial reception. It's a new product, but it's the very, very best. And I've traveled, I've looked all over the world to find the best quality protein that's clean, doesn't have any crap in there. So many of them have artificial sweeteners and fillers and uh, chemicals. And so uh, you can be confident that you're getting a good product and getting started on a good habit. Awesome. Excellent. And um, check that out, bradkerns.com. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Brad. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.